All right, let's open our Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 3. I know that you have cataloged in your brain and remember every sermon that you have heard, whether here or someplace else, and you're thinking to yourself, Philippians 3, 12 through 16, ah, oh, I've heard Randy preach three other times on that passage. What, what else is, is there to say about this passage? Well, in the last seven and a half years, uh, this will be the fourth sermon on this particular passage. Um, it's a good passage, you know. <laughs> There's just a whole lot here. Um, uh, think of the Puritan who preached only out of Job for 40 years. Uh, now, that might get old, okay? Job for nothing, 40 years, nothing but Job. Um, today, we are looking at one particular aspect of this passage, and that is what we find in verse 14, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, come upon us today. Fill us with your spirit that we might understand your word, that our eyes might not be darkened to the wonderful truth that is before us, that our hearts might not be apathetic to what you call us to do, but that our hearts might be alive and they might be on fire for the wonderful work that you call us to do in Christ, the upward call to put all things in submission to your perfect will, to put aside all those things in our hearts that we desire so that we might pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Open our eyes to your word today. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, if you're able, let's stand as as I read the word. Verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So you see that Paul says, I want to go and I want to do those things that he has laid hold of me for and, and has laid hold of me for which to do. I want to get those things. Brethren, verse 13, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, just to review chapter 3, what we have here is a portion in in the early verses of Paul's um, uh, pedigree let's say, verses 4 through 6. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. 
circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Okay, this is Paul's pedigree. He says he tacks it up and says, beat that. Okay, you want to earn your way into heaven, you go ahead and beat that level of righteousness, man-made righteousness. Remember all the things, circumcised the eighth day, just like he was supposed to, comes from Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. He can trace his lineage back. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, that's as good as it got. As to zeal, that is zeal for the things of the Old Testament, a zeal for the law. He says, I'm a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, he says, I'm blameless. He says, he just can't get any better than me. And then what's he say in verse 8? I count all things to be loss. What's the other word for loss there? Dung. Okay, that's what you step in and you go, ooh, and you scrape it off your shoe because you don't like it to be there. He says, all of these things that have been righteousness in the rest of my life, now they're nothing but dung. They serve no purpose in the things of Christ. Because in Christ, it is all his grace. It is all his mercy. It is all his compassion. What are my efforts before him? He says, I am unsatisfied, though, with what all of this has done in my life. I'm unsatisfied that I gave all this time to seek righteousness on my own. And I am, I am still not satisfied that Christ has done this work in my life. I'm not satisfied in the sense that I am not where I should be spiritually. Now, this is Paul, uber-Christian, okay? As good as it got. We all would like to be like Paul, except for those beatings and shipwrecks and, and stonings and all those things. I mean, if we could be like Paul spiritually without having to go through that, that would be great. But you understand, that's what Paul went through. That helped shape his faith and brought him to that point. And he says, I, he looks at all of his life so far, and he says, I'm just not satisfied where I am spiritually. I'm not satisfied. He sees himself as someone who has not yet arrived. And what Paul does is lay out for us his needs and goals in life. And they typically don't match what the rest of the world says are their needs and goals. A quote from Thomas Naylor, who was a uh, business management professor at Duke University in their master's uh, program. He always asked his students every year to draft a personal strategic plan what it is that you would measure your success by, and how it is that we can help you reach that. And he writes, with few exceptions, what they wanted fell into three categories, money, power, things. He writes very big things, vacation homes, yachts, even airplanes. This is what they they wanted. He said, no thought was given as to... um, Humanitarian service, no thought was given to spiritual values. He said they wanted them to teach them how to be a money-making machine. That was all that they were concerned about. And yet, what those students wanted, Naylor writes, is what most people want. This is what they want, tangible evidence of things in their lives. Paul wants tangible evidence, but he wants that tangible spiritual evidence. His overriding desire, his overriding joy is that his life be conformed more and more to the things of Christ. Look at verse 10. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, how many of us woke up this morning and said, Lord, I want to know your sufferings. I want to be conformed to your death. I want to know you. I want to know the power that you have available to us. Now, you say, well, Randy, if I have to be conformed to his death, does that mean I've got to die? Well, Scripture says you've got to die to whom? Self. Scripture also says that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And where do we renew our mind? Right here in the Word. In order that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So in to be conformed to his death is that living sacrifice that we are called to live. How can I walk in obedience in all areas of my life? How can I put all things under the obedience of Christ in my life? Well, then you have to take inventory of your life and say, well, if I took an honest look, if I sat in a room all by myself, I had a big yellow pad, and I began to write things down, what things are not in obedience to Christ? What portions of my life do not put him first? See, this is what Paul is doing as he takes his spiritual inventory. This is the man who has planted churches, who has taught, who has suffered, who has grown in in Christ-likeness in all ways. And he is still at work attempting to figure out where it is in his life that he falls short of the things of Christ. So that he may take those areas of his life and put them under obedience of our Lord. I hope we feel that Paul should be describing each of us, that we want our lives to be in obedience. Now, if you think to yourself, well, Rand, I'm, I'm pretty spiritual, okay? Uh, you know, I've been a Christian a long time, and, and things are going well, and, and uh, I've got my five-minute devotion, and, and some days, you know, I do ten, and uh, Saturdays too, and, and you know, I'm, I'm I'm doing pretty well. If you think you have arrived spiritually, you are in so much trouble. If you think you have attained the level that you should be, oh, that just goes to show that your pride is so great that you aren't even close to the level where you should be. Now, there are spiritual giants among us, okay? And one of the things that spiritual giants learn is that they're not spiritual enough. That they're not spiritual enough. I've got to grow more and more Christ-like in all that I do. And you look at them and say, well, they're pretty godly now. But what is the desire of their heart? To be like Christ. The same thing here in Paul. Okay. If we set the goal, boy, I'd like to be like Paul. What does Paul want? He wants to be like Christ. Okay. That is the path that he is on. Let's take a couple glimpses here about what Paul is talking about. When he takes a spiritual inventory, the wise man will, on a regular basis, look at his own life, and the wise congregation will also look at their own lives as a congregation and examine their spiritual health, their spiritual pedigree, let's say. They'll look back, and they'll make sure, as individuals or as a church, that we are never guilty of repeating the same mistakes, but we are always guilty of repeating the same successes. Okay, if something is working, if it is 
it, if it is declaring the things of Christ, if it is serving the kingdom, then those are the things we pursue. Those are the things we do because that's the upward call that we are called to live. But if we look back and say, you know, those things failed or those things were seasonal in life, in, in the life of a church. If we go back and try to do those again, I mean, that's what's the definition of idiocy? Idiocy is doing the same things again and again and attempt and what? Expecting a different outcome. Thank you. Okay. Ah, we, church doesn't do that. There are too many things the Lord calls us to do. Too many things and ways that we are to be aggressive in ministry to go back and try to redo the things that have not worked. And look at your own spiritual lives. Perhaps you've gotten in a, in a rut relative to your devotions. And you think, you know, my devotions just aren't going anywhere. So I'm going to try and do them better using the same thing. And your devotions are somewhat like this. Okay, Lord, I just where is it that you need me to be in your word today? Okay, um, wherever you send me, that's where I'm going to be. Um, mm, uh, mm, uh, Leviticus, great. It's a good Old Testament book. What is it? Mm, you shall live in booths for seven days. Now, now, how can you apply that in your devotional life? Ah. Do you have a system in your devotional life that is driving you to deeper and deeper understanding of the word? Or are you stuck in the surface area where you've got your three minutes and you've got your little bit of reading that you're going to do and that's going to hopefully get you through the day? That might get you started, but will it get you to the meat of the word of God? Or are you just going to have a little cup of milk in the morning and that's great? No. We need to feast on the meat of the word. So if you're stuck in milk in your own personal devotions, you've got to change that. You've got to get more resources that drive you and push you into more of the word. So when when we examine our past, we just don't learn from our mistakes. We also learn from our successes as well. You remember a couple weeks ago we looked at some chapters in Acts. And as the church... The early church was being successful and moving forward. There were a couple things that marked successes within the early church. And one of them was the saturation of their minds and hearts with the word of God. And that led them to being spirit-filled. That's how we have a spirit-filled church. When our minds are so full of the things of the word, we think of Christ's response first. Not the response of the world, we think of the response of Christ first. We learned also that the Lord uses those believers who are already in motion. Remember Philip? He was doing ministry right up to here. And what happened? The Lord whisked him away to do ministry at another place. Those bodies in motion tend to stay in motion. Those doing ministry have proved, in a sense, proved themselves ready and worthy to do more ministry. And that's what the Lord uses. And, of course, the one thing that marked all of Paul's successes and all of Paul's preaching is that he preached Christ and him crucified. For Paul to live was Christ. That's all he was concerned about. And if he died in the process of living for Christ, he considered it gain because he would see him face to face. How close did Paul come to death? I don't know. We know in Acts that he was stoned and left for dead. And he pops up again. Okay, and goes on and does more ministry. Shipwrecked on an island, remember? They, he was out gathering wood, or they had the, the fire, and he reaches in, and that viper latches onto his hand, and everybody goes, oh, that's the end of Paul. There must have been sin in his life or whatever, because, you know, that's, that's a two-stepper. 
you know, a bite and figure he's going to be two steps before he's dead. What happens to Paul? Shakes it off. Why? Because he was out doing the will of the Lord. He was out on the edge of ministry and the Lord was protecting him in those things. Protecting him in those things. For individual churches, a danger is not looking back and focusing on the past. Rather than looking at the past and helping the past launch us into the future ministry that the Lord calls us to. We press on to the upward call in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is what we are called to do. The painting, Allegory of Prudence, 16th century artist named Titian. He portrays prudence as a man with three heads. One head is the youth, faces forward. Another man is middle-aged, he gazes at the present. The third head is an older man who looks at the past. And then he writes up above the painting here. From the example of the past, the man of the present acts prudent, prudently, so not to as imperil the future. We take all that has gone on in the life of the believer, in the life of a church, we put that all together and we act for the future so that the Lord, so we might not act imprudently, but we might move to the future. How easy it is to be obsessed with things in our lives, in the past and past glories or whatever. But God never wants us to be content. That's what he, Paul understands. I cannot be content. It is the upward call. It is this draw upon my heart that moves me and that I cannot be satisfied with where I am because that is not what Christ is satisfied with in my life. Paul says, I press on. That word press means I run after a thing in order to lay hold of it. In order to lay hold of it. I get the idea of a guy who's chasing a car down the road or the dog, you know, just trying to bite the tire off your car as he goes down the road. All he wants to do is reach that goal. And that's what Paul says. I seek after it until I can lay hold of it. Why? Because Christ has laid hold of me so that I may go and lay hold of it. It. Are we saturated with the word of God so that the spirit fills us to the point that you've been crucified with Christ? It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives within us. So it's no longer we who have my priorities, but it is the priorities of Christ. Then what do I do with that? That's when Christians run into trouble because we try to do things in our own power. We say, yes. This is it. I've done all those things. Now let's go out and get it. Make it happen. And and the issue really is, what is the power at work within us that enables us to do the things of the upward call? We've looked at that passage many times in Ephesians. It is the power at work within us. That is the power of the Spirit. You don't get that power in the Spirit unless you walk in the things of the Spirit, unless your life is obedient to the things of the Spirit. You know, Paul was an all-or-nothing type of Christian. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, is that where you are? Is that where you want to be? Now, that, that, say, oh, yeah, that's where I want to be, Rand. Think carefully before you answer that question. If you really want to be so that you can say, to live is Christ and to die is gain, what are you asking of yourself? What demands are you now putting on yourself? That is not an easy task. We often look at Paul and his life and say, well, 
Yeah, that's good. I'd like to be like Paul. And look at all that he did. And, and look at how the Lord blessed him. And look at the sacrifices he made. But do we really want to be like Paul? Yeah, remember I said I'd love to be spiritual like Paul without the beatings and the shipwrecks and the stonings. My favorite guy, Jonathan Edwards, wrote this about this passage. What is Paul striving for? Paul's one desire is to know Christ, but he is keenly aware that he has not yet grasped the full import of the significance of Christ. He acted in in this manner very much as one that is running a race for some great prize, who makes running his only business till he has reached the end of the race, and strains every nerve and every sinew, and suffers nothing to divert him, and he will not stand to listen to what anyone says to him, but he presses forward. Or, as the man that is engaged in battle, sword in hand, enemies that seek his life, and he exerts himself to his utmost. 1 Corinthians 9, 26, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. And then when fleshly appetites stood in the way, however important they were, they were utterly denied, and he renounced them. He would not be subject to the appetites of his body. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body and bring it under control. Probably there never was a soldier that acted with a greater resolution, a greater violence, that is a greater determination, than the Apostle Paul in seeking the kingdom of heaven. Focus. That's what Paul had. He said these other things are not important. Focus on the things of heaven, the upward call. We as individual believers, we as a church, if we're not engaged in the upward call of Christ... If we're not engaged in living for Christ in all that we do, in the demonstration of the power of Christ in our own lives, therefore what he can mean in the lives of others around us, then we might as well stay home. Okay. It is nice to come and gather, but if we're not involved in the things of the kingdom, in the work of the kingdom, we might as well stay home. Remember what Leah Iacocca said? When that whole thing with Chrysler was, was going on, he said, you lead, you follow, or you... Get out of the way. Christians have to lead. This is where we're going. This is the upward call of Christ upon our hearts. Will it be to live as Christ and to die as gain and you'll find your reward in the upward call? Or will it be a demonstration of faith that is marked by tepidness? And you know from Revelation what the Lord does to those who are tepid. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I have been laid hold of by Christ in order that I may seek what I have been laid hold of for. And that is the upward call. The work of Christ upon our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, here we have Paul, this wonderful believer, but he was not satisfied with where he was. Not satisfied spiritually with where he was. Not satisfied spiritually with what he was doing. He wanted more of Christ. More of the things of our Heavenly Father. More of obedience. That he might carry out this upward call. Come upon us first as individual believers, Lord. That as we look at our lives, is that the way we live? 
that the things of this world pale in comparison to the call of Christ? Are we living as those who have a thin exterior as a professional or a thin exterior as, as an individual, that people easily see through that and see that Christ is all in all in our lives? Do we demonstrate that in our priorities? Do we demonstrate that in the words that come from our mouths, the attitudes that we convey, the attentiveness to obedience? And as a church, Lord, that we might seek the same things, that we might be wise in the application of faith, that we might be wise in seeking what it is that you call us to do, that we would not run ahead or lag behind, that we would walk and pursue the things of the kingdom, the things of the upward call, and we would never be ashamed of the gospel and what you have placed upon our hearts. Lord, that you might receive the glory in all that we do. Lord, we come to you and we seek your wisdom. We seek to hear your voice. We seek to know the pleasure of obedience. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn is 516, Give of Your Best to the Master. Let's stand as we sing 516.